Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. What is up, everyone? It is CW. Thank you for checking out the Top Docs Radio Show. On this week's episode, I sit down with Judy Mode and Trent McEwen of Revenue Sphere, and we were taking a look at the challenges around adopting new innovations into an enterprise. As Judy describes it, we are in the midst of a significant business transformation as organizations are redefining their own path to adoption. In fact, being able to utilize a wide range of resources for information on which to draw as they try to determine whether or not a given innovation is one that they want to place priority and invest revenue into. This is changing the way that technology innovation companies are going about introducing their solutions to the marketplace. The fundamental shift in the way buyers are now adopting technology is increasing the complexity surrounding the decisions being made about what strategic business solutions to adopt, what operational approaches to adopt to fix the problem, and ultimately, technically, which one to buy. The rule of thumb is the more complex the organization or the more disruptive your innovation, the more difficult your market development is. The bigger drag this adoption problem is going to have on your business growth. It's going to slow you down. A critical fact 80% of sales today around innovation are being lost, not to competition, but to non-decision on the part of those would-be clients. The problem the folks at Revenue Sphere solves is that of the process of adoption across the entire life cycle. They take into account what the problem is and identify operational, technical, and financial issues and bridge that widening gap between buyers and sellers. So if you're a technology company that has an outstanding solution that's going to change the life of the healthcare clients that you serve, and yet you can't figure out why in the world it's not being adopted at a higher clip, you're going to want to check out today's show for sure. And because Judy and Trent and their team at Revenue Sphere do not, quote unquote, sell anything, they can truly be objective advocates on behalf of the buyer, helping them evaluate the various solutions, as well as identifying clearly what the problem is to determine, are they going after the right type of technology innovation to solve that problem to begin with, helping them be more confident that the revenue and time they're investing in this innovation is actually going to achieve what they need it to achieve. So stick around. We got the full interview with Judy Mode and Trent McEwen of Revenue Sphere coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It is C.W. Hall. Thank you for joining us here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Going to be talking about technology in healthcare today with some experts that work with both folks who are thinking about implementing technology into their organization, as well as companies that are trying to come up with a technology solution that uh, they hope will be adopted. And uh, these folks can help them make sure that happens. So I've got Judy Mode and Trent McEwen from Revenue Sphere with us in studio and uh, pleased to have you here. Thank you. Glad yeah. to be here. So for folks, Judy, we'll start with you. When when we're talking about Revenue Sphere, for folks who aren't familiar with the company, give them a quick refresher about its background and how you, how you got here. Yeah, I, it's been uh, an interesting period of time uh, in terms of of how disruptive innovation is on organizations. And 
over the past six years, uh, we've been really working on the selling side of the world, really, in helping early stage and startup companies who have new technology, new hardware, come out to market and, and actually figure out and help them get the broad-based adoption, whether it's individual physicians, physician practices, hospital systems, and so forth. And then over the past few years, because of some of the complexities that I think we'll probably be talking about uh, in the show, we've noticed that this kind of adoption problem is still a problem, is becoming a real problem for the buyers as well. And some of the traditional ways in which organizations or individuals have looked at technology, thought about technology, um, those old rules don't apply anymore. And so we're kind of in a new world and, and we're really helping these uh, these groups kind of navigate uh, navigate those waters. I thought it was interesting that it seems like a majority of no's, if you will, or or decisions not to buy, uh, that that's almost bigger than a, a, a non decision, if you will. The failure to move is really one of the big things that can undo whether or not my product is bought or sold. You know, bought to by this particular entity just because they didn't get around to making a decision on it. Yeah, and what's 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 different and I can say back in the day cuz I've been doing this for about thir- <laughs> been doing this for about 30 years. But back in the day, um uh, really pre-internet, there was a heavy reliance on uh individuals who had responsibility for for sales and and collaboration. Primarily, it was the access to information and the opportunity to really learn from not only what their company was doing, but what other companies were doing, right? That's why there are trade shows and conferences. Well, the internet really changed all that because all of a sudden now we had massive access to information. And, and back in, you know, back with the, the advent of social as a disruptive innovation, that also now enabled us to go talk to other people, right? Whether they're next door in the cubicle or they're in St. Petersburg in, in Russia. Well, what's happened is that with that enablement, it's empowered buyers to take ownership of their own buying process um, uh, and almost seemingly end-to-end now uh, because they can tap into the collective knowledge of, of the market, right? Other physicians, other physician practices, other hospital CIOs, CEOs. Um, the problem that we're running into now, there's simply too much information, right? If you look at any particular category in healthcare, type in telemedicine or you know uh, readmissions, right? Fixing a readmission problem, it's no longer tens of hundreds; it's like tens of hundreds of millions of um, places that we can go. Uh, whether we're looking at YouTube or or whatever, um, the problem is how do we really sort and filter through that? So to answer your question, the challenge is it's not that these folks don't want to decide. It's right. until they figure out all the different pieces of the puzzle and get the consensus that they need to be able to decide. They just don't decide. And so the the, the, the true statistics that, that we see is 80 to 90 percent of the opportunities um, are now going to a non-decision versus being lost uh, to a, a direct competitor, which is a staggering number. Yeah, it really is very surprising. I wouldn't have guessed it to be that high. I would have felt like I would have assumed until we had this conversation that that a competitor, maybe a bigger competitor or uh, one that was willing to do more for less, that kind of thing, commoditization would beat you rather than just 
we had committee meetings and committee meetings and we're not ready. Yeah. It's the we're not ready yeah. for whatever reason. In many cases, they're not going to tell you they're not ready. They, yeah, just, they just don't go radio silent. They go radio silent and, you know, they may pop up periodically and, and then they go away again. And nobody wants to admit that we can't decide. They just don't decide. Um, and it's really the, the pressure is on us to kind of not only figure out what are the barriers to the decision, but actually go out and remove those barriers so that we can simplify this process for them. And what about you, Trent? What's your background that uh, brought you here to be a part of Revenue Sphere? So I've, I'm a technology guy. I've been in technology for 20 years, um, mainly started in professional services. Um, and it, my whole career has been focused around data, data solutions, whether that's been custom development or packaged solutions, but everything to drive bigger visibility into your organization around data. And uh, as you know, Atlanta is a very large but small technology community. And uh, Judy and I have known each other for, gosh, 13 years now. And um, we've our paths across multiple times, um, but we finally came together towards the uh, middle of last year around this whole concept of adoption of innovation and, and how we can actually drive that and uh, that was the genesis of Revenue Sphere. So, and you were talking earlier about how the commoditization, you were thinking it's more of a commoditization yeah. to non-decision versus just the non-decision itself. And really that's what social has enabled initially was when you are allowed to talk to your peer groups or allowed to talk to people who have experience in the certain technology or certain innovation, or whatever, you're, you're doing all the discovery on your own and you're not the salespeople of those innovations don't have that opportunity to walk the halls anymore and, yes. and, and to provide that education. You're, you're doing it all on your, on your own and you're pretty much doing it in a closed box. And that probably replicates how you buy, uh, buy personally as well. Uh, especially like if you're going to buy a car or something like that, you go and read reviews. You don't go yes. and listen to the car salesman, right? Yeah, that's right. right. I'm, I'm in there. I'm like, dude, just handle the transaction, right, man. Right. I'm good. And, and, so, and that's, what, that's what it did. It commoditized everything because now you have defined the box in which you want to do everything within. And now you're just looking to people who can fulfill everything in your box, right? And then so now you're going straight to everybody on your short list of who can fill those requirements. And oh, by the way, if you can't, I got another guy right behind you who can't, right? And so really that's what it, it's, it's happened. And it's very frustrating for people who have built new innovations because it's hard to get through that noise and, and really demonstrate, show that innovation and, and then build that model of adoption when you don't have access anymore. And that's what we're, we're tackling. So from what I understand, there's obviously different layers when we're talking healthcare, um, we've got the providers on the front line delivering patient care. We've got the administrative executive team, and then there may be an investment group or or not, but there's there's money and, and board and things like that. There's all, there's all these layers of decision makers, and each one of them has presumably different sets of focuses that would determine whether or not they give something a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Talk about that a little bit, how that can come into play with okay, we've got this cool new product. It's going to change our life. Uh, you know, patient outcomes are going to be just magically transformed if we adopt this. But why doesn't it get, why doesn't it get there? Well, there's a, there are a couple of reasons, right? So I think in part, if you, again, back in the day, uh, <laughs> we, we've grown up looking at major and large disruptive innovation, but the disruptive innovations were at a frequency 
you know, three to five years where hospitals, physicians would have an opportunity not only to kind of figure it out in terms of what what are we now able to do? What is this going to do for me? But also be able to absorb it into their organization, both in terms of the decisioning as to why do I care and what's, what's it going to do and where does it apply, but also um, all of the organizational behavioral changes that typically come with something new, right? It's it's very rare now that you just do plug and play where I've got one box and I throw in another box and we don't actually have to do anything. Yes. Um, so we're, we're the complexity of the world that we're living in just adds a lot to that. So that kind of big box adoption, think about CRM, yes. think about ERP, think right. about electronic health records, right? We're going to go buy Cerner and then life's going to be good. Um, <laughs> then they have to hire a team of people to actually develop it and implement it. <laughs> Correct. But it's kind of a bit, it's still kind of a big box type of philosophy. Well, we're living in the world of small boxes, um, but big shifts, right? So if you think about mobile as an enabler, uh, cloud as an enabler, this movement of everything going from uh, hardware, software to service delivery model. If you think about all the advancements in this whole area of connected health and and the internet of things in terms of sensor technology and analytics. And now we can literally grab data from everything, right? From not only from our heartbeat, but literally the, the, the quality of the air that's in our home or whatever. And so all of these things are hitting these, these organizations at the same time. And the problem is, is you don't have the time anymore to look at each one individually in a silo and kind of figure it out. Um, you're you're at a point where you have to take a more kind of what I call an engineered and, and a balanced approach to look at all these things happening at the same time in the context of the world that we're living in today versus who do we want to be, whether we're looking for patient care effect, you know, critical care or clinical care effect. Is it a type line effect or a bottom line effect? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really the complexity that's hard to manage. And in most of these organizations, there's not like the technologist, but even if you have the technologist, it's even hard for them at at this point from what we've seen. The thing I think is interesting about this conversation where you mentioned the fact that as much as 80, possibly 90% of the lack of a purchase, if you will, comes from a failure to decide. Um, It's intriguing to me because when we're talking about solutions like this in, 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 in the healthcare arena in particular, all of these innovations, just like any other B2B enterprise solution of whatever kind, should mean, and in, I would believe in most cases when they get produced, they, they do produce some level of return, whether as you talked about top line or bottom line and or patient outcomes are enhanced. So it's like when they come to you with this product, yes, there may be a purchase, but the solution typically bears some real return. Patients are safer, your your surgeries are more precise and they heal more quickly or um, risk is reduced. We were talking about pharmacogenomics and, and if we do this, then even if it's incrementally based on reimbursement picture today, those increments are reducing risk. So why don't we do it? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I have an example. So we were approached by a, a company that is in the dental industry, so so healthcare related. They had been one of the early innovators in digital radiography mm-hmm. uh, as a technology. You know, digital has been around probably what ten, maybe even fifteen years at this point, 
Uh, and the companies spent quite a bit of money, uh, not only in the, the development of the digital radiography equipment as they became more accurate, uh, as they moved from two-dimensional to three-dimensional views, uh, they were still shocked to understand how many dentists and periodontists and other specialists were still using x-ray film. In their mind, this is like a no-brainer, right? It'd be like, why would you not use digital dude? Um, but they had no idea why not. And, and why were these guys not crossing the chasm over from x-ray? And so as we did our, our homework, it, you know, you could say, sure, maybe it's cost or whatever. But the reality was, um, and I kid you not, there were upwards of 400 different reasons why um, dentists were getting stuck in the decision and think of it as a, a their own puzzle. Um, and some of those puzzle pieces might be very small. Some of them might be very large because you have to consider the type of dentist, their background, their experience, their level of sophistication, right? Some of these guys would, wouldn't move off of x-ray if their life depended on it. And once we were able to understand the elements of non-decision, then we could go back in and actually build them the understanding to remove that barrier of non-decision. And every time we did that, we would see a whole group of dentists that say, oh, that's great. Now I'm done. Right. And whether they needed two pieces or they needed 20 pieces of the puzzle, but it was all over the place. Right. One of the considerations was retirement, right? Do I need to have this technology in order to sell my practice or, or not? Can I get away with keeping what I've got? Uh, they also looked at, do I have to train people? Do I have to hire different people? So it's it's all of, it's not just the, the technical, which the providers think it's all about the technology. And it's <laughs> not just the financial, but it's also the change in behavior that's required and the risk in doing versus not doing. And so until you figure all those parts out, then then there, someone's going to get stuck along the way. The hard part is they're not going to tell you this. So you kind of have to figure it out based on what's visible to you within these peer-to-peer -peer networks and then actually build a very structured approach, what I call the yellow brick road, on building the elements that they're going to need and literally taking these guys by the hand and taking them through that process so that you can simplify the decision for them. And and by the way, they have influencers, whether it's the office manager or the hygienist, right? There are other people, other dentists um, that they talk to. Um, everybody's looking for validation, even if they're not the final decision maker in this process. In, a, in addition to that, though, it's also not just one innovation that these guys are being pursued with. It's countless, right? And, and it's wave after wave after wave. And as the sellers or the people who develop these innovations all think of it singularly, hey, this is mine. This is all you have to and do. And it's spectacular. Right. It's spectacular. It's the only thing you have to decide. The only thing you have to do is this, but they never right. talk about, well, yeah, I understand that for your innovation, but what about the other seven that right. I've By the way, I'm being well. chased by the guys who have a better probe and whatever, right? right? Yeah. And, and how do I integrate them all together? And how do I make this operational within my organization? People, process, technology. That's huge for buyers especially within healthcare, because there's all so many different factors that, that, that come to the buying decision, whether it's around the practice, whether it's around the, the system itself, the reimbursement, you know, the re everything. Yeah. So um, the biggest challenge is how do they make it operational? And it can't be singularly focused on the one innovation. It's everything, conglom the conglomerate of everything they have. So when you were focused on the, the dental innovation uh, devices. I got to see them for the first time myself. My dentist doesn't use non-X-ray uh, 
radiography, they they still have, and it's nice, and it's one of the ones that you know you don't have the little cardboard thing anymore. Um, but it's still X-rays. And I was at the Hinman conference that was here just a few weeks ago in town, and so I got to see some of this stuff and all the things they can do. Uh, you know, they can they they don't have to send your your stuff off to a lab to make your crowns anymore. They make it right there in the office, and it's perfect. Um, so, I mean, when you mentioned that. As you started interviewing dentists, why why wouldn't you have this in your office already? And you you identified four hundred different reasons. Were there some trends out of that that began to emerge in terms of ones that this one and this one and this one this was there was a preponderance of of non adopters who listed these particular yep. things as the reasons. No, no, absolutely. There is there's a, an order of prioritization, right? In terms of where how to where's the bigger bang. Yeah. Um but what was interesting to us, if you if you think about the kind of the the network dynamics within these peer-to-peer communities, uh the majority of the people are are not visible in the networks, right? So for every five people that are are actively in view, there's probably another 50 that are are just watching and, and listening and, and consuming. And what was what was most telling to us was how um, how much they appreciated what we were doing. Literally in these networks, they would they would call out our client and say, "Thank you so much for taking the time to help us figure it out." Because it's not that they didn't want to make the move; the majority of them really wanted to make the move. They just didn't either know how, or they didn't know all of the the things that were going to have to happen. They couldn't really figure out the total cost of ownership. To Trent's point, they couldn't make it operational in terms of the day-to-day. And they were frustrated because all of the vendors were just pushing their product, regardless of how much better it was getting. And they're like, guys, as much as we love your stuff, that's not enough for us, right? And if you're asking us to make the decision solely on that, then you may be waiting for a while because we're just re- we're not ready. Um, so yes, but there is there is kind of the bigger pieces of the uh, of the puzzle where there was a consistent pattern across multiple dentists um, versus the one that were kind of the outliers. It's kind of a a bell-shaped curve, right? So then is there a strategy, I assume, to tackle that? Yeah, absolutely. That's, it's really the power of, of the the peer-to-peer networks is you can no longer really start with the innovation and go out to the market. Given the categories that these technologies are in, it's just like saying, I don't know, you're, you know, a needle in a haystack, right? Um, the approach that that we advocate, which by the way, is the approach that the buyers go through, it's really for them, it's what's broken um, in their practice, uh, not only at a technical level, maybe an operational level, but really at a business level, right? What's broken fundamentally in their business as a, as a dental practice or a physician practice or as a hospital that they have not yet been able to address, that the likelihood is now with what's new out there, there are going to be able to to fix it. And if you take these folks through a problem, fix the problem process, and then embed what's needed to do that um, at an operational level, then you're done. Then they're less likely to have to go to RFP and you know, and, and make this stri- strictly a financial decision, which is what an RFP really is. And so we've been applying that approach not only in the healthcare industry, but in 
manufacturing, uh, in, in, in construction. And consistently what's been really kind of my passion is how much the, the buyers appreciate what we're doing um, because we're literally kind of changing the game in terms of, of the approach. And really we're out here to help fix problems. Um, we're not selling anything. Um, we're, we're helping them fix things. And, and there's a big difference between the two. And I was going to ask that, that question, you, you mentioned not selling anything. Um, who's the client most often? It sounds like the client lives on the tech solution side that, that says, hey, we need your help more than, and I can, and can correct me if I'm wrong, but based on the least thrust of our conversation today, why is it my cool technology that would change this hospital and their patients' lives forever? Why aren't they using it? It seems like that company is the client as much as anything, but I, I realize you can help that hospital also. Um, they want to do something and is it doesn't make sense for them. I can see where that comes in, but it's, 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 it's intriguing to me. I guess it shows how the pace of innovation is so rapidly advancing now that you talked about it's they're getting assailed on numerous fronts now that the, we can change your revenue cycle we can change your patient outcomes we'll decrease your er visits whatever so now they've got all these different things they've got to try to think about implementing so how do you how, how do you help that that client with that process what's the process like yeah no, no it's, it's a good question what a um and i'm going to use a non-healthcare yeah. example because i think it really tells a story so um Probably a couple months ago at this point, I had the opportunity to attend a global bottlers conference. And within that conference, um, there were kind of three kind of key stakeholders that I had the opportunity to speak with. Uh, a gentleman who was head of, of global R&D uh, for this group, who, of course, his organization is responsible for internal innovation, mm-hmm. right? And Based on his language, the more disruptive, the better, right? Whether it was sensors that they were building or virtualization or or whatever the category. Um, But having said that, the challenge that they had was getting the bottlers to adopt what they were doing. Uh, Later in the day, I met the gentleman who's on the commercialization team, and his responsibility is external innovation. So he is approached on a daily basis by, as you can imagine, everybody and their grandmother who has anything that they want to sell to this global bottler. Um, but then the onus is on him to kind of figure out, well, what is what does this do for us, right? right? Is this fix a problem for us? Can we do something better? Can we do something different? And that adopt that internal adoption process can be very lengthy from introduction of innovation to actually the operationalization of that innovation. But what was most striking to me were, were the executives from these bottlers from Brazil and Portugal. And they were effectively saying, stop the insanity, because they every one of these guys were living in pilot whatever. And, you know, 10 pilots, 15 pilots, they're like pilots all over the world. Of and new things new, we're going to try. New things that, you mm-hmm. know, whether it was coming based on the internal R&D or stuff that was coming from the outside into, they're like, hey, try this sensor. Hey, try this predicting that. And they're like, that's great, but I really don't know why, <laughs> right? So we ended up having kind of a, a small a small table conversation um, I, I, I'm a chemical engineer, uh, so I, I actually know how bottling plants work. And so we ended up having a conversation as to why the adoption of these new innovations were something that they needed to pay attention to. And then I helped them understand operationally where that would help 
and then ultimately as a business, how that would help. And they said, well, why isn't anybody talking about that, right? That's that's the stuff that we really need. It's not enough for me to say, hey, the, the stuff works, check. Great, the stuff works. Now, now what do I do with it? It's the same thing, and it's actually harder in hospitals because typically there is no commercialization manager, right? So there is typically, although now there's chief innovation officers that are mm-hmm. starting to, to so, so now we're, we're starting to look at what can we do internally, right, as a hospital, to build new medical devices, whatever, and then what can we do externally? Um, but because this is no longer big box adoption, nobody has the new rules um, in how to make that happen. And so we effectively step in as kind of a fractional chief adoption officer for the lack of, of, of having a title because none of these folks have one and they all probably should have one um, so that we can look at not only where they are operationally today, but what are some of the new innovations that they could uh, affect um, what they're doing um, with that with that business effect? So how do you move me to decide, okay, yes, I need this sort of an outsourced innovation officer in you and your your group. How do you move them to that? Because that's another decision they got to think about. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so I, for us, it's all about the power is truly in the problem. And literally every executive that you meet, just ask them what their hit list is. They're going to be able to tell you what are the three to five core business problems, whether they're on the marketing side, on the technology side, or the CEO, um, what they're trying to start, you know, what do they need to fix? What do they need to address? That's what they pay attention to. And so the only time the hit list changes is either they fix something or something that comes up that's more urgent, right? Maybe there's a regulation change or you know, Medicaid does something different. Um, but if you can define the problem that they need to fix, that ultimately your innovation can help fix, and it happens to be on that hit list that they agree to, then you're in the game. Otherwise, if not, then you become lower priority and then you move from must fix to it'd be nice to fix. Um, and then you're looking at, you know, six to six months to a year before anybody pays attention to that. So once you're anchored in the underlying problem and and understand why they haven't been able to fix it yet, um, then you can build the path on how you're going to actually help them fix that and take ownership and, and lead that process for them. So the decisioning process becomes easier because it's no longer I have to make a decision about a sensor or a software I'm actually making the decision that this is the problem that we're going to fix next. And this is the one that we're going to invest in. I suppose if you're the the right kind of storyteller, then you might be able to elevate your problem is not currently on the punch list up there. Because sometimes they don't know what they don't know, right? Yes. So oftentimes we only talk to executives. Um, they, they will say when we approach them with the problem that that we identified for one of our clients, They'll say, oh, my God, we knew that we had a problem. What we didn't know is you're right. This is probably the problem that we have. Um, so we're we're actually enabling the problem diagnosis process for that hospital who may not have identified kind of that big category problem like, you know, readmissions, for example, as you had mentioned. We've been talking with Judy Mode and Trent McEwen of Revenue Sphere. They're experts that are able to work with both consumers of technology innovation that might change their enterprise, um, as well as the creators of the disruptive innovation that you know is going to change the life of that enterprise. But yet, why haven't they pulled the trigger? I can't understand. They're going to make money or they're going to save money. 
they haven't pulled the trigger yet. And we determined that many times it's due to lack of decision making. And you talked a little bit earlier about a variety of sensors and different things that are now talking to EMRs and interconnectivity. Talk about that a little bit, because the Internet of Things is certainly coming to uh, roost in healthcare for sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually, first of all, fascinated by that. Um, I was very fortunate in my career to have been part of a lot of the the early sensor development done, being done by Sandia National Labs and, and Lawrence Livermore and um, uh, Research Triangle Institute and so forth. Uh, and what the opportunity today to not only uh, miniaturize those sensors, right, to go from pieces of equipment that used to be the size of a room to then a size of a coat closet to then to the size of, of a rack. And now it's, you know, the yeah. size of, yeah. of a business card, having the opportunity to to get more dynamic data in in real time is is very powerful right so one of the examples that i use is you know um i, I can say this because i'm driving a 1998 mercury mountaineer with 250,000 miles is that if your onboard telematics said hey judy your battery is going to die in 30 seconds right that's what do i do with that other than to say move out of my way right i gotta yeah. hit the shoulder um, but if it had a little bit more time where I could actually do something with that, uh, that's really what's even more exciting is not just what's happening now uh, versus what happened before, but our ability to to look ahead and take that real-time data and then build the predictive models, whether it's applied to your automotive or applied to patient diagnosis. Um, so I think we're really just at the starting point of what's going to be kind of an interesting transformation over, over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I think that the use of data, I mean, we've always had mountains of data points in healthcare from, you know, patient biologics data, vital signs, et cetera, et cetera. But we haven't really, I guess, until more recently now, begun to actually really predict with that or identify patterns with that very effectively. So I'm sure cloud computing and then the fact that these sensors are now able to talk to each other and talk to medical records, things like that, that will empower some more strategic thinking, both for the clinician as well as for the hospital leadership. And and what we're also seeing is this movement from 100% human intervention to really more automated intervention, right? So using kind of a, a telehealth program, uh, we recently had a conversation with an organization that, that does that where their patients receive uh, care 24 by seven, but someone has to actually capture the, the data uh, from the, those patients. And a very large part of, of their day is really being spent reading numbers off of equipment. There's an opportunity now to stop doing that not only perhaps build an interface to what's out there now, because no one's going to go out and strip out all the equipment and replace it with, with net new, although the technology guys would, would love that, um, but actually be able to transition so that the things in terms of patient care that those nurses can only do um, are really what they end up doing. And some of these other more administrative collection aggregation parts uh, is done in a more automated fashion. So how do you make the, the case for that, that innovation company? How do you help them understand we can help you? Because I'm sure in many cases they're, they're going to be thinking about the fabulosity of their product and think, wow, that's going to 
that's going to be it's it's amazing. I mean, look at it. it look, look what it does. It slices, it dices. <laughs> that's, uh, and that, and that's it's amazing. What, that's what most product companies are. Look at my product. Look at my baby boy. It's so pretty. Beautiful. Look, look at all the features. It's look at this everything blue light. That you do, right. And, <laughs> and then and that's how they sell it too. You know, and that's that's your whole demo process. It's hey, look at it. It's so nice. It's beautiful. Look at this. But but what we find is very seldom do they anchor it around the business problem that they actually solve. Or they, can help solve. Or can help solve. So um, most of the time we find that product companies do exactly what you just said. Talk about all the features. It slices, it dices. But from a buyer's perspective, what they care about is what business problem is it going to solve for me? And until you anchor what business problem you solve or can help solve to that messaging and, and be able to actually solve that, they don't care. Buyer's not going to buy you. Um, they'll try you. They'll give you the demo or they'll buy you but won't renew with you but they won't you know if you can't solve the problem that they need to fix you're nice to have or by the time that that organization figures out that what they need technically is what you do the good news is they figured it out the bad news is they're looking at everybody that says the same thing so unless you're it's back to your commoditization model yeah unless you're in a market of one Right. Which it's very rare that they're, you know, unless it's major disruptive and you're the first company out there. Um, and those typically are, are few and few and far between. The majority is it's either an existing market and you're trying to do a better, you have a better approach or you're solving a new problem. But by the time they they come to their own conclusion that that's what they need, then then they're already doing the A-B testing. Right. They're, they're putting the charts together and, at, you know, looking at all the, the feature functions um, and then right behind a technical decision is a financial decision. So so our suggestion is don't wait until they figure out what they need. But the truth is, um, and we talked to a lot of executives on the buy side, um, they've already been in this process for easily six, nine, 12 months. You just don't know it because it hasn't been vis- visible to you. But they would appreciate people who will help them. And I think the, the one example, I, I'm not sure if I shared that with you before, but uh, we were on a, a phone call, Trent and I, with the CIO who uh, basically said, look, guys, he reached out to all of his vendors, to the executives, uh, 60 vendors all told, and said, starting next week, you guys are not allowed to sell me anything. I don't care what you do, storage, broadband, disaster recovery, ERP, whatever you do. But what I will do is partner with those companies who not only, that want to help me fix things, not only the, the problems that we've already identified, but the problems that you can help us anticipate so it doesn't really become a problem for us. Those are the companies that we want to do business with moving forward. So as a trivia question out of the 60 vendors, how many companies do you think responded to his request to shift from selling to, to fixing? I would anticipate it be high just because they wanted, they want to maintain that relationship with the client. And as we are talking about solutions that do something that definitely has a return or prevents problems. Uh, you would expect it to be high, but based on the tack and the look <laughs> on your face, it sounds like uh, it's not. Yeah, it was two. Wow. Yeah. And and not only was it like, wow, but... That means that you're saying 58 didn't respond. They said, yeah, no, we, like, we, we don't want to figure it out, right? So if you're going to turn from selling something to fixing something, you kind of have to figure it out, right? You got to figure out the underlying business problem that these guys are in the need to to address. And by the way, it better be urgent. 
And it better be one that they haven't fixed on their own. Otherwise, there's no gap, right? Unless there's a gap that you can fill, then they're, you know, these companies are going to, and hospitals are going to do what they, what they could do. But they've never had that responsibility. They've relied on the hospital to make it operational. Now, whether they did it internal or they went out and hired consultants to do that, um, all they worried about here is our box. And then I want, I, I need to convince you to buy our electronic health record system or, yes. or to buy our new mammography machine or, or whatever it is. Well, now they're asking these guys to really start much earlier in the process, which requires more fundamental knowledge about the industry as a whole, about the specifics of the organization, um, to be able to lead this process rather than follow it. And that's what they were um, that that's what they were complaining about. They're like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm just really good at this particular piece. <laughs> And we're going to keep making this better, right? Um, they don't really necessarily want to own the responsibility of leading these guys through this process, which I find fascinating. Yes. I think maybe it's our collective backgrounds as a as a chemi. I've always been fixing problems, whether I was in the environmental or oil and gas or semiconductor industry. It's just part of my DNA. But but for a lot of people, it's a really hard um, a hard pivot to to make. So. From the perspective, you, we talked about pharmacogenomics because I'm doing some work with a company that's in this space. That technology, again, is in the early phases. It's the fax machine in the late 70s. It's definitely proven. It definitely changes your life. Lots of people don't know what it is, and lots of people say, no, no, we're fine. You know, Now look at it. Everybody's got a fax machine, even though they don't use it anymore. Um, but as it relates to that kind of technology, you're saying, if I were to say, look, this is what it does in terms of letting you straight away, the moment you start doing it, patient one, you've reduced your risk for adverse event, uh, events. So we know that. But we also know that implementation is challenging. We got to go out and we got to help the providers are going to be ordering, understand understand why. And then we all got to look at the fact that while the payers will pay for it, they're only, they're, 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 the payers right now are, are treating that technology like it's some sort of just a, just a procedure. So we'll approve it here, but not over here, but not over here, but we'll approve it here. So if you get this little three-inch box here, we'll pay for it. To be able to say to them, hey, look, we understand that picture too. It's only going to grow, but here's where it is. So we will help you identify where those opportunities are because every one of those places that you implement and execute, you'll be reducing risk, but we're going to help you do that. That's what you're saying. That what you're, you're that getting close. You're getting closer, okay. right? So I'll use a, a medical example. Um, growing up, I had a real problem with my knees. Every time I played tennis or racquetball or tried to run, my knees would blow up the to size of. So my mom um, kept on taking me to doctor to doctor to doctor, and so some of those doctors would use what I call state of the state, which is hey, here's the world that we're living in now. And you can't, like, you can't ignore this, right? So this is the wave of the future. So you might as well pay attention and go. That's kind of the state of state justification. Um, others would use the um, the outcome, right? Here's what your life is going to look like after you buy our stuff, <laughs> yes. right? Your readmission's going to go down, yeah. your price is going to do. So they're using outcomes to justify but the fact, or they said, look, they went straight into the um, the procedure, right? We walk in, oh, we need to operate on your yes. daughter's knees, yes, right? Yes. So eight of those doctors could not tell my mom what was wrong with my knees. They, they said, hey, we could operate. And there were 14 different versions. 
or they would say, hey, if you do this, then you'll be able to run and play tennis. Right. And so so those are ways of trying to convince somebody that this is what they need to do, yes. um, either because the world changed or it really makes sense or you're trying to use large kind of generic outcomes like, you know, faster, cheaper, whatever. Yes. But if you look at it from their point of view, I as a patient, I'm like, well, what's broken? Like, what, what, why am I in pain um, now? And what can I do to think about fixing it? And let's just do the diagnosis. I can't fix what I don't know is broken. And it wasn't until I got a meeting with the orthopedic surgeon for the Cleveland Browns through a friend, through a friend who basically, he was the only one who could diagnose my knees. And he said, you don't have to operate. You're, you're going to grow up. So that's, so a lot of what you said is kind of state of the state, right? This is the world that we're heading to. Some of it was outcome-based and that's okay. But there is a mirror image of what's broken for that hospital system that they need to fix that they can't. And if we define that box tight enough where it mirrors what you guys do, then you're not opening it up to everybody and their grandmother, right? We, we That's why I said readmission, yes, it's a big problem, but now everybody talks to it. I, I could be selling water bottles and say, hey, we're going to solve your, yes. your readmission problem. Well, if I'm on the buy side of this, it's just noise to me. How do, how do I know what's real, what's not real? I can say, sure, I have a read, you know, readmissions is a problem. That's like the sky is blue. Um, uh, but until you kind of go deeper down, kind of down into the into the the, the 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 depths of the the problem, only then will they say, you know what, you're right. That's exactly what's going on. We really need to fix that. We haven't been able to fix that. And keep in mind, this is this is almost like a dog whistle in terms of the reaction, because the reality is they've probably been struggling for a while unless it just popped up on their radar yesterday. So there's actually a sense of appreciation when people approach them around a specific problem where we've already done our research to know not only is this a problem for a whole bunch of people, but we think that likely this is a problem that you guys are being affected by based on based on what we can see from the outside looking in. In many cases, you get one, maybe two passes at a conversation to illustrate this and illuminate this problem. So how do you get to that? Because how do you get to that in basically moments such that they're actually going to listen to you and engage with you and actually help you understand what their issues are? Do you see what I'm saying? No, how, absolutely. How? And and so I'm not Dr. Phil. Yeah. So I don't right. pick up the phone and say, tell me your problems, yeah. George. Yeah. Um, we do our research. And depending on whether it's us as a company or our clients, we look at the market in terms of what's the underlying problem that not only would one organization be struggling with, but the likelihood is multiple organizations. And we can see that. We can see that based on the peer-to-peer interactions that are happening. We can see that at, at an industry level. And we just really start to refine the problem definition. Um, and we know when we hit it based on the response that we get. One of our, our clients is in a particular industry. I won't say what industry because they'll know we're talking about them. The particular problem that they felt that they were most in alignment with based on our research, we did not see that that was a problem that anybody cared about. Um, and their target uh, executive is a, a chief information officer. But they insisted that we go ahead and approach them in that way. And we did. And not a single soul responded because it's not relevant. Either it's not a problem at all, or it's not a problem that's urgent, or it's problem number 452. 
Um, but we identified two other problems that we felt was more critical, more complex, more in need of help, you know, help in fixing. And we reached out to another group of CIOs and within two days, they all responded. Now you're saying that you illuminated other issues that your that technology that client could, could, could actually could be solve. a part of fixing. That was really a problem that these guys cared about. Um, and it's all about relevance. If it's not relevant to them, then they don't have the time. And the truth is, it's not about the relationship. The majority of the executives that we speak to, I've never, we've never met. Um, the power truly is in reaching them, reaching them with the right problem. And, and they appreciate the fact that now there's somebody out there that really wants to help them fix it because they're stuck. Um, and so fixing. are you saying that you start a conversation or early in the conversation, uh, hey, I'm Judy. Tell me, how much of a problem is this? Right. We do the outreach around the problem. They're responding um, because either they absolutely know that this is the problem that they're that they're struggling with, or it's close enough where they think, you know what, maybe that's what's really going on in our business. Or like I said earlier, they'll say, you know what, we know we had something going on because we, we got pain all over the place. What we didn't know is this is really the underlying problem. They, they may not be able to diagnose it, right? They may, they may have 25 people in a steering committee mm-hmm. and everybody's in pain, but nobody knows why. They can't answer the question why. And what happens is then folks that are coming from the vendor side of the world are saying, well, you're in pain, so you, know, you have to have knee surgery, <laughs> right? Or you have to buy my software or you need to hire my consulting when they're like, but what's broken, right? I, so I, I can't fix pain pain is symptomatic of an underlying root cause problem. What, what's that look like? And, and that's actually very difficult to do in some of these complex uh, environments. So what's your typical engagement look like? Is it more of a project-based relationship? You come in and you're interacting with an organization a handful of times, or you're now an extension of that? How does that flow for your clients? Yeah, I mean, it, it's truly a, a shift and going from product to problem, right? So most companies put the product in the middle and everything that they've built and designed for is based on that, right? The go-to-market strategy, the way that they sell, the way that they build their alliances, the way that they do product development. Um, it's, it's when you put the problem in the middle, it actually streamlines this process because then everything that you're doing is in enabling those buyers to make the decisions to invest in fixing the problem, right? Most folks don't understand. They've got to they've got to get the investment to fix the problem before they can get the investment in what they need to buy in order to fix the problem. And most of these guys aren't even buyers until they know what they need to buy, right? They're going to figure out what approach can we take? What do we have? What do we need? What's missing? Oh, hey, this software is not going to work, but maybe we can just add two lines of code, or know what, we're going to have to scrap that completely. And by the way, there's five new companies that have this brand new software as a service. And so you can actually enable the decisioning process and provide the assets to the buyers to do that because the, the hard part right now is they really want your help but they don't want you to sit there to help them. <laughs> so they want somebody to feed them the pieces of paper and, and to, to enable that without you having to, to come in and actually try to do that physically because to transpoint the, those days are, are gone. Then with that in hand, once you've identified and validated and then built the decisions, then you got to figure out the alignment between 
how to fix the problem versus your piece of the puzzle and whether your particular innovation drives 50% of that and then or 75%, then what are the miss what are the parts that missing, right? Maybe it's an acquisition, maybe it's a partnership, maybe it's the addition of, of new products that you want to build. Um, it's very rare that an innovation immediately fits a business problem. Normally it's bigger than what they do is what these guys mm. what these guys need. Then it's just a matter of how are you going to 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 deliver that. Who needs to be thinking about linking up with Revenue Sphere? Um, you know, our um, our executive stakeholder uh, is basically on the CEO of, of the organization. Um, the buyer it, side? Both. Or, because, okay. uh, because they own the adoption of innovation internal. So as their organization is making investments in technology, they have a responsibility to make sure that there is broad adoption of that. And given the complexities that we talked about earlier, they don't know where to turn in terms of all the things that are hitting them at the same time. And, and then they're also responsible for the adoption of, the, of their innovation external to the market. So normally that's our, our, our entry point. Um, we'll oftentimes uh, be approached by the chief innovation officer, the chief information operations, marketing, but but normally it's senior vice president and and uh, C-level um, is our, is normally where uh, where we enter into a conversation. Now, are they wanting you to be some, somewhat of a, a buffer or a go-between, a, a point of contact for them on their behalf in the early stages? Is that what we're talking about? We, we do because what we also find is because we're not selling anything, mm-hmm. we're not pitching anything. Right. Um, we're really just approaching um, folks around a problem that we've identified as a problem. Um, and then the more conversations we have, the smarter that we become in terms of where the gaps are, where the patterns are forming, um, so that we can really tighten the problem in a way that not only two people uh, agree, but you know, 200 people will ultimately agree. Uh, and so, so that's normally how this process starts. And being an independent uh, is very helpful because we're, they know that we're not there to talk about software or right. hardware or any of that. In fact, what's interesting for our clients is that until we enable the decisioning process for them, we don't even tell them what we do because what we do doesn't really matter until they have come to the conclusion that the problem that we fix is the problem that they need to fix. Um, and then we're having a more operational conversation rather than technically what we do. Where do folks need to go to get linked up and get questions answered? Yeah, so so definitely we're both on on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I um, also uh, run a, a, an executive group called the Social Executive Council, which was formed uh, based on social as the disruptive innovation. We've got about 3,500 senior executives that are part of that group. You can also go to Revenue Sphere's website. My contact information is on my LinkedIn profile as, as is Trent's. RevenueSphere.com is the website. There'll be links there, I guess, to all the social media uh, platforms as well. Correct. If you're coming back and checking out the show by podcast, if you've not done so already, go to the upper left-hand corner of the Top Docs Radio Show page. You'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the Top Docs Radio Show podcast where it lives on iTunes. And you can subscribe to us. That way the new episode is downloaded straight to your device when it comes out and ready for the ride to work, walking the dog, whatever the case may be. And we hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks. You never know when you're going to put a piece of information in the hands of somebody that you care about that makes a big difference in their business or their professional or personal life. So we want 
want to say thank you in advance for sharing this information on our behalf. And uh, Trent and Judy, appreciate you all making time to join us in the studio. It's an intriguing conversation, and and uh, I'm certainly interested in continuing it on uh, some more levels. I'd love to hear from uh, an organization that has deployed this consulting process for their business to see how did it change, you know, change did it solve the their problem? Too, right? yeah. <laughs> so. To uh, all the folks out there who made us a part of their day today, really want to say thank you very much. We really appreciate you, and we look forward to catching up with you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 